Welcome to Amplified, a podcast about the sounds of scholarship from our team here at the Amplify Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stacey Copeland. As a first-generation grad schooler, learning to navigate the complex, alternate universe of the academy has at times been quite the daunting experience. Whether it's the code switching to academic talk or the sobering realization of what working in the academy is truly like, it can all be a lot. Thankfully, conversation with other graduate students and mentors helps ease the journey, but the pandemic dramatically changed access to community and connection. This is where academic aunties came in. I'm Dr. Ethel Tunkelhun, an associate professor of politics at York University. This is Academic Aunties. A podcast sharing stories and advice from thriving and surviving first-generation people of color and women academics. Academic aunties who inhabit social locations that are traditionally unrepresented in the often exclusionary world of academia. This month on Amplified, I'm joined by Academic Auntie's host, Dr. Ethel Tungahan, turning on her mic for some auntie wisdom on making more collaborative, ethical, and consent-based interview podcasts. We also dig into questions of podcaster versus researcher identities and the pros and cons in considering all academic podcasts as scholarship. Now here is the Academic Auntie herself. My name is Professor Ethel Tunkohan. I am an associate professor of politics at York University, and I'm also the host of the podcast Academic Aunties. As a first-gen graduate student myself, I've been listening to Academic Aunties for a while now, uh, full disclosure. Oh, cool! (laughs) So, little mini fan over here. But for listeners unfamiliar with your show, could you tell us a bit about Academic Aunties? Absolutely. So, Academic Aunties is a podcast that is for women of color, for folks who are first generation, for people who need a space to discuss some of the weird norms surrounding the academy, and also to talk about race, gender, sexuality, and other sources of marginalization and discrimination in the academy as well. Academic Antis is a labor of love, basically started during the pandemic in March 2020, when, you know, we were all feeling super isolated, we were all feeling really untethered from community. And what had happened was, um, I was feeling completely burnt out, not just because of care work in the academy, but also because of a lot of situations in my professional slash academic life, where I kind of felt gaslit. I was like, is it me or is it the Academy? Mm -hmm. Is this normal? Mm -hmm. And so we decided to create this podcast based on kind of my group chats with my fellow aunties with my fellow friends that this is not something we're experiencing in isolation. So we really wanted to create community. 
the lineage of auntiehood is super important for the podcast. A lot of racialized communities, so I'm Filipino, rely on auntiehood as a source of support. A lot of indigenous communities and black communities also rely on aunties to provide support and solidarity as well. It's a place to hang out, to talk about the issues that we keep facing in the academy, and also to get some advice and anti-wisdom from each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. It's really great to hear these conversations happening outside of what you're talking about, like the group chats and things too, because it's totally conversations I have with other fellow PhD students and some early career scholars, but we often don't get to have those more candid conversations with tenured professors, with someone, you know, very impressive like yourself, who's a Canadian research chair, right? <laughs> These titles um, that we think about as being people that maybe have it all together, that know exactly how the whole system works in comparison to early career scholars or first gen or graduate students of color, right? And, you know, I was listening today to your recent interview with Dr. Joyce Green, which certainly speaks to some of these barriers of different generations of academic work for women, for women of color, for indigenous feminist work as well. The ultimate academic auntie for anyone listening who wants yeah, to check Yeah, the OG out. academic auntie, <laughs> Dr. Joyce Green, is such a mentor and I love her. And I honestly think it's funny hearing you say that it's good to listen to people who have it together because I don't think I have it together. <laughs> I don't think a lot of the guests would say that we do. I think we're all navigating this extremely extremely kind of almost dystopian world mm -hmm. that is the academy mm -hmm. and kind of fumbling along and trying to change norms through the podcast and through the conversations as well. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I have it together. It's, I don't think I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that kind of spirit comes out in the podcast, which is why I think it works so well, right? Because you are being so candid about your experience in the academy and then talking to other people about their experiences too, from all different walks of academic life. Listening to the conversation you had with Dr. Joyce Green, what I also wanted to talk to you about that I notice not only in that episode, but in a lot of the series is just how amazing of an interviewer you are. So oh. <laughs> in, our, in our last blog, audio blog for Amplify with Dr. Jill Fellows, she talked a lot about how learning to interview was one of the biggest challenges for her uh, starting out in podcasting as a scholar. She's Her background's in philosophy and she was never trained to interview people in this style, right? And so that was one of the biggest challenges for her in starting up her podcast, Gender, Sex, and Tech. So do you have training or a background in interviewing? Where does that come from? First, I want to shout out the Academic Antis team. It's not just me coming up with questions. My producing partner, uh, Wayne Chu, is also part of it. So he also comes up with the questions. Uh, Dr. Nisha Nath, who is at Athabasca University, she's an assistant professor. There is also a producer. Before we meet with the people who we're interviewing, we have like a pre-interview segment where we just talk about the podcast. We talk about the questions they might want to answer, and it becomes a collaborative process. A lot of the questions we collaborate with the people we're interviewing to make sure they're comfortable with that. So it's never the case where we just hit record and that's the interview you hear. With the exception of the very first episode, Academic Asshole Season 1, Episode 1, where it was literally just me, Nisha, and Miriam, really good friends, pressing play. And we're already friends, so the rapport is there already. I do have qualitative research training, like I was trained, and I still do 
a lot of interviews and focus groups and things like that for my own academic research. But beyond that, I mean, I do want to stress that it's not, it's not just we hit record and the magic happens. We do have to make sure that before the interview gets taped, that people feel comfortable with the questions. Mm -hmm. That's great to hear. I think this is something that comes up a lot when I'm talking to scholars who are interested in podcasting but have never done a podcast before or maybe have just jumped on a more casual one with their friends before is the amount of work that can go into making a podcast sound so natural and effortless in conversation. Could you walk us through maybe an example of an episode you've done, what the production process looks like from, you know, thinking of the idea to actually putting it out into the world? It's funny. When it first started, it was literally me and my partner (laughs) in our house (laughs) talking about, you know, let's just do this. Let's see where it lands. It doesn't have to be anyone listening to it. It could just be us. We just needed a project during the pandemic that kept us alive, right? And I really was craving community uh, during the pandemic. But as the episodes continued, especially during season two, we we're starting to get like a lot of feedback from people, including in unexpected quarters, right? Like I just assumed it would be my friends kind of politely listening to it because everyone (laughs) has a podcast these days, right? So I'm just like, you know, who knows where it will land. As we started taking more episodes and it had more reach, we then started realizing, oh, there's a lot of audience members with their own ideas as well. And so from season two and with season three coming up, we started having more of a systematic process through it. So basically what this means is that we have production meetings. We actually have a shared Google Drive where we have episode ideas and potential guests, episode ideas generated from us, but also from audience members who give suggestions too. And then after that, we narrow down themes. If we want to talk about, for example, the job market. So that was one of our episodes with Dr. Robert Diaz from the University of Toronto and Dr. Mendoza in California. We started trying to narrow down what are some of the things that people need to know if they're not on the job market and don't know how it quite works, right? And from there, after developing these themes, we come up with a list of questions collaboratively with our guests as well. So it's not just us thinking of things off the top of my head. We have to do a lot of outside research. We look at the Chronicle of Higher Education. We look at Inside Higher Mm -hmm. Ed. We look at like even, you know, scholarly works published on this to make sure that we're kind of zeroing in on the questions that we need to to ask. Mm -hmm. After we've kind of vetted the questions with our guests and they are okay with it and we have the pre-interview hangout. We then tape. And after that, we have to edit the episode as well. Mm -hmm. And as you know, editing's not easy. (laughs) In all honesty, a lot of our episodes are much longer. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of them are like two hours. And so distilling the essence of the interview to a tight like 30 minutes, sometimes it gets 40, Mm -hmm. 45 minutes. That's really difficult. And so again, it's a collaborative process. So the first cut we go through together as a production team and then A lot of guests have feedback too. They're like, you know what? It doesn't make sense if you kind of just talk about that without talking about this. And nothing ever gets released without the guest consent, right? It is a labor of love. As I said, it does take a lot of time. It does take a lot of bandwidth and it takes a lot of research. Mm -hmm. It depends on what you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. But it's not just, you know, hitting record on your iPhone and just seeing seeing where the conversation takes you. At least not in our experience with academic aunties to make sure it's a collaborative and consent-based process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I 
really appreciate you bringing up consent and also walking us through the collaborative elements of your podcast in starting those conversations early on with your guests, especially because you are covering some more vulnerable subjects around navigating the academy. Sometimes more frank conversations come out of that then. Those conversations seem very valuable to have in advance and then also giving them the option to listen back to what you're going to put out before it actually goes out into the world. As someone who has a background in media production and journalism coming into the academic space, that was something that I really learned through the ethics process and doing qualitative Mm -hmm. research was the value of those kinds of conversations. So I really love and appreciate you bringing up those intersections and maybe some of the ways that your own background in the university influences the way that you're making your podcast Which brings me to the question, you know, here at Amplify Podcast Network, we're really interested in in what draws scholars towards podcasting. It's not typically where we see academics spending a lot of their time and effort, whether that's an alternative mode for sharing research, a space for candid conversation or community building, or maybe a complement to a more traditional publication With Academic Aunties, you just wrapped your second season, as you mentioned, which congratulations. What is it that continues to draw you toward podcasting as part of your scholarly journey? That's an interesting question because initially I was clear, at least when we started in March 2020, that this is not at all related to my research or my academic persona. In fact, in my email signature for my work email, I don't even put in a link to Academic Aunties. And the reason for that is that I want to keep this sacred. I don't necessarily want this labor of love to be embedded in the competitive mindset that usually engulfs all of us in our academic Mm -hmm. work, right? Mm -hmm. But as time developed, it's bizarre that even as I tried to kind of create that separation, I did become more associated with a podcast, (laughs) even though I'm like, okay, but like, this is a side gig. I mean, you know, this is not my academic work. But as we continue with the episodes, one thing I'm starting to realize is that maybe it isn't a side gig. Maybe it isn't just kind of a project, a labor of love I do for fun, but maybe this is part of a broader agenda to make academia more humane Mm -hmm. and more, more social justice oriented. And I don't know quite what that means. As I said, I've tried to kind of separate it out. But I think one of the things that draws me to the podcast, quite honestly, and to podcasting as a whole, is the fact that there's just way more reach through the podcast as opposed to publishing an article or even blogging. I used to blog as well, or even writing an op-ed. The fact that people can engage more with the podcast, not only as listeners, but also as folks who, you know, give feedback to us through our Twitter account, through our email address, makes it a more fun and a more dynamic space as well. And I also really like how, depending on the podcast, of course, and the structure they follow, I like that it opens up conversational spaces with people who you may not necessarily talk to, right? And so, you know, although a lot of our uh, guests are in social sciences and political science, because that's my discipline, I did have the opportunity to talk to other folks in the sciences, uh, other folks in other disciplines as well, right? So it becomes kind of more interdisciplinary. And I think what I like the most out of podcasting is that you become part of this community too. You get to meet other folks uh, who you wouldn't necessarily be talking to as well. 
that it kind of democratizes knowledge production. Mm -hmm. This is a really key tension I think that you've brought up is deciding what role the podcast, your podcast plays in your research journey. And, And as you say, like you as a Canadian research chair, whether that fits into the same identity or not, and what those choices mean when it comes to some of the questions you're asking in academic aunties about how you or others are perceived in the university space for the different work that we do outside of our traditional research. And I have to say, you know, academic aunties is very refreshing to listen to in that way because it really weaves its way through some of those questions and some of the different choices that people make. What makes the most sense in our research? You know, I study podcasts, so it's not really an issue for me to do podcasts. But depending on the the discipline people are in, these are questions certainly to bring up is what kind of role does a podcast play in your research? And do you want it to be considered research at all, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really provocative question, actually, because as I said, in some ways, I kind of want to protect academic antis in that space and make it a space away from you know, research and other kind of metrics that we are always evaluated towards. When I call it the site of the sacred, what I mean basically is that I want this to be just mine, right? My Canada research share and my research output, that doesn't just belong to me. That also belongs to the university. That also belongs to the discipline. It belongs to the university in that, I don't know, the number of citations I get, the, the grants I get, it makes the institution look good as well. My research grants allow me to pursue amazing projects with amazing collaborators, and it allows me to further questions that I have always been passionate about examining in that way. But at the same time, it's still work. In other words, there are other interests, institutional and individual and community tied along with it. Whereas academic antis, I mean, this sounds kind of silly, but it's just mine. Mm. No one, I don't want the university to touch it because it's my space, right? Don't try to evaluate the podcast based on the downloads people have had or based on the number of listens, right? I don't want that. I want this just to be mine, like where it's not going to be subjected to, to scrutiny using the same conventional metrics that my research, my you know research persona gets subjected to. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. And these are conversations. I think a lot of folks, our listeners, people interested in academic podcasting, quote unquote, I'm doing little air quotes right now, are actively engaging with. It's kind of funny. Some of the other folks I've talked to, like Jill in our last episode, talked about her fun podcast versus her academic podcast mm-hmm. and how even though they both are informed by her research and certainly academic aunties, you can tell that you have a deep invested interest and related to your own research in activism and community. That informs the way you approach the podcast, but it is not your research, which I think is an interesting distinction that folks interested in podcasting as scholars have to decide what they're going to do there. Is it a podcast you're doing because you want it to be your own, a space of community for you, a sacred space? Or is it a podcast that is a development or an output of your research? And what does that mean around questions of ownership, questions of what that podcast sounds like or what its purpose is? To folks who aren't uh, familiar with Academic Aunties, highly recommend checking it out. 
And thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me today, Ethel. Absolutely. And we are on Twitter at Academic Anti. Then you can kind of stream (laughs) the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, thank you. You can check out Academic Aunties at academicaunties.com and on Twitter, as Ethel mentioned, at Academic Auntie. Links in the show notes. A big thanks to Dr. Ethel Tungahan for joining us here on Amplified this month. We only just hit the tip of the iceberg when it comes to conversations around ethics and politics in podcast scholarship. So if you have comments or want to take this conversation further, please do reach out. We're always interested in hearing from other folks, engaging with scholarly podcasting, and other alternative modes of academic publishing. Thanks for listening to Amplified, a podcast about the sounds of scholarship, coming to you each month from our team here at the Amplify Podcast Network.